This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Thank you everybody for tuning in to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky. With me, as always, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. It's the end of the fantasy hockey season. The heat is also out in my apartment today, Elon, so we're really going to have to bring the heat ourselves on this episode. Well, speaking of temperature, we have an interesting show today. Obviously, the end of the season, things are going to be a little different. We're going to talk about who was red hot at the end of the season. Who were the players who helped you win your fantasy season? Hopefully, we have some winners listening today. We'll also talk about some of the players that let you down in the final week. You know, it'll be somewhat of a recap episode, I guess. Like, looking into what happened. We'll look a bit into the future. We've got the playoffs coming up. We'll give our playoff predictions before the end of the show. And maybe set up our summer series, which I'm very excited about. We're not taking a break. No rest for the wicked. Don't say that. <laughs> say something better. No, that's, I think that's great. You know who else isn't resting even though it's the end of the fantasy hockey season? It's Dauber and the people at DauberHockey.com, the best fantasy hockey website out there. They actually have a playoff draft list available for you. If you're about to enter a playoff pool and you want a little help, you could buy the Dauber Hockey playoff draft list. It's $8.99 and it's going to give you a lot of helpful information for your draft, like what players did well last year in the playoffs. This information isn't so easy to find. He has got lots of tidbits. You should check it out, DauberHockey.com. And also throughout the summer, you know, there'll still be all the analysis of any signings that happen in the draft it's it's a great site all year round yeah Dabber's 2016 interactive playoff draft list it's fully customizable you can put in your own thoughts on how far certain teams will go and the list will change according to your own playoff predictions or you can just go with Dabber's and anyone who purchases it also gets a $10 credit over at Fantrax yeah, we talked so much about ESPN in Yahoo. Maybe next year for the Cupful, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patreon Fantasy League. Maybe we should try out Fantrax. If anyone knows anyone at Fantrax, by the way, put us in contact because I want to talk to them. But Brian, okay, let's get on with the show. Man, there's so much to talk about. I want to talk now about some playoff pool strategy. We'll get to that. Let's start, like I said, with the players who were the MVPs of your finals matchup. Let's look at the last couple of weeks of the regular season. Who are some players who stood out? Maybe we'll split them up into players who were highly owned in most leagues, the guys you expected to do well and they came through, and maybe some also some gems, some hidden gems that came through. I want to start, though, 
with Chris Letang on the Pittsburgh Penguins. I don't know if we talk about Chris Letang enough. Obviously, we're keeping Carlson. We are Carlson supporters. But Chris Letang, he's pretty close to Eric Carlson. He had 12 points in his last eight games and ended the season with 67 points in 71 games. That's almost a point per game. Eric Carlson had 82 and 82. Chris Letang, not far behind. It really makes me wonder... You know, I've always sort of preached that maybe drafting a defenseman like Carlson in the first round is worth it since there's the scarcity of defensemen and it's really hard to find someone close to him. I wonder, though, now, maybe going to next year, do you maybe pass on Carlson in round one and maybe wait and just get Chris Letang in round two? Is there really that much of a difference? You know, the big question with Chris Letang this season was, was he going to be able to stay healthy? He, for the most part, did. He missed some games, but overall, 67 points, not too shabby. What a season for Chris Letang and what a finish! Yeah, he finished the season with a very valuable 12 points in eight games. Lots of talk of Drew Doughty being the main contender to Eric Carlson's eventual Norris win this year. But Crystal Tank has to be in that conversation too. If you look at his shot suppression and other possession metrics that you'd look at to see if a player is defending well, Latang's essentially mirrored Doughty's for most of the season. But the difference is that Latang has been putting up points at about double Drew Doughty's point pace since returning from his early season injury. So that's like a 45 game span where Chris Latang has essentially lapped Drew Doughty in point production. The big blemish on Chris Letang this year was his performance at the start of the year when the whole Pens team was down in the dumps for a good 25-30 games, but he did eventually step up on a pretty thin blue line, and his abilities there have been one of the reasons that the Pens have been able to turn their season around. It's also been encouraging health-wise. Elon, like you said, yes, he did miss 11 games played due to injury, but only 11 games played. Last year, he missed 13. The year before, he missed 47 And that always affected his draft value. So he rewarded anybody who was willing to take the risk in drafting him and potentially picking up some lost games. Okay, maybe it costs you one matchup, two matchups. But at the end of the day, Chris Letang probably helped you win or come close to winning your fantasy hockey championship. Yeah, at the end of the day, he ended up with the third most points for all defensemen in the league. 67 points in 71 games. Like I said, you know who was number two? It was Brent Burns. And this discussion about defensemen is going to be very interesting next season. I'm really excited to talk about draft strategy going into next year and all of these defensemen. We talked last year about who were the new elite defensemen. Now there's a whole big conversation of players. You've got like Carlson, Burns, Chris Letang, and then we can't forget about P.K. Subban, who missed a lot of games due to injury, but he did get 51 points in the 68 games he did play. There are some rumors that Subban might get traded in the offseason. There's going to be a lot of intrigue there. Then we have all these new guys like Klingberg and Gostas Beher. It's going to be really fun wading through all of these defensemen going into next year, but Chris Letang definitely earns some consideration. Though I do want to say, speaking of Brent Burns, he ended the year with 353 shots. That was second overall in the league. The only player who had more shots than Brent Burns was Alex Ovechkin. So in some leagues, you could maybe even make the argument that Brent Burns was more valuable than Eric Carlson. So we got some uh, murky waters to wade through next season when we tried to figure out how to rank these guys. I think it's good to remember that we can't forget about P.K. Subban, whose season was hampered somewhat by injuries. He's pretty consistent through the year, though, like almost a point-per-game guy, except for one coldish stretch in December, where he produced at only a half a point-per-game pace. Just six points in 14 games in that stretch. Ha, only a half point-per-game pace for a defenseman. That's normally really good! Yeah, exactly. And if we're going to say that P.K. Subban's season was a success with 51 points in 68 games, then how about Shane Gostisbehere with an almost identical point pace right now has 45 points in 63 games 
So he's obviously in the conversation as well as we've been talking about all year. It's going to be interesting to dig in this offseason and see where we expect him to fall on next year's draft lists. Yeah, one other stat I'll mention really quickly. I know we have to move on. If you look at just special teams points, which is a category in lots of pools, if you rank defensemen there, you've got Brent Burns, number one, then Latang, then Weber, Ekvin Larson, Shattenkirk, Doughty, then finally Carlson. Actually, that's one argument for Doughty over Carlson. Doughty had, well, actually the same number of special teams points, 26. But yeah, depending on how you look at it, there's lots of defensemen in this conversation. Eric Carlson maybe isn't the number one guaranteed, but hey, we shouldn't be burying the lead. Eric Carlson, 82 points in 82 games. What an amazing year. He even helped in blocks. But okay, let's move on to another MVP from the last couple of weeks. Here's an obvious guy in terms of definitely he was owned in your pool. He was probably drafted in the first round. But a lot of people were down on him for a while. Actually, in our last patron cast, a lot of people were asking if he's still the elite player that he was drafted as. And who am I talking about, you wonder? I'm talking about John Tavares on the Islanders. He also ended the season with 12 points in his last eight games. Actually, the Islanders still play again today. So maybe he'll do even more. But with some new elite players entering the league, you know, we've got Connor McDavid now. We'll talk about some other guys who maybe have made the jump. Where do you think Tavares lands in next year's drafts is he still a top five maybe a top three or are we considering him more of a top 10 it's a more complicated question than you might think going into the season we had him as a top 10 for to be drafted in fantasy leagues and if you look at where he sits at year's end he stands in ninth in even strength points amongst all forwards but if you extrapolate that to all situations including power play and shorthanded he's 14th amongst forwards in total points, 15th in 5-on-5 points per 60. He also registered his second lowest shots per 60 total since his rookie season. His shot attempts per 60 were a little better, but still middle of the road relative to the rest of his career. So all of that would more or less place him outside the top 10 if you're drafting next year. But you can also really identify where he took what should be an unsustainable hit to his numbers on the power play. With the man advantage, Tavares was actually attempting and registering shots on goal more often than he ever has in his career, but his shooting percentage with the man advantage was half of what it has usually been in his career. His IPP on the power play was also down significantly. All of that adds up to just 19 power play points on the season, which would be good for many players, but not for John Tavares. That's an 82-game career low for him. He's used to seeing about 25 and as many as 31, which he got last year. So if he can reclaim, say, 6 to 10 of those power play points next year, and I think he can, then he gets back into the top 10 forward conversation. Okay, so you're saying he's worth being in the top 10. I kind of felt going into this discussion, for sure he's in the top 10. I remember going into this season, though, I considered him more of a top 5 guy. It was like Crosby, Sagan, Ben, maybe Stamkos, Giroud, Tavares. All of them were in that discussion of who cracks the top 5. I guess if you're saying that Tavares could maybe get himself back into the top 10, you're kind of also saying he's out of the top 5, right? Especially with Connor McDavid now in the conversation. Yeah, at this point, top 5 might be a bit of a stretch. I mean, it's definitely conceivable that you could draft him in those top 5 but his numbers this year definitely wouldn't warrant it if you're just going off of this year if you're going off the last three years he is ninth in total points scored amongst regularly playing nhl forwards and seventh in points per 60 minutes so even there he doesn't necessarily crack the top five if you're just going purely on point production in all situations but if you have a hunch that maybe he can step up a little more next year then i suppose he could squeeze into your top five he won't be in mine Yeah, it's interesting. It doesn't take much to get bumped nowadays. There's some new players also that are worth discussing. I'm going to bring them up later in the show when we talk sort of about the final points rankings. I think there's some interesting names there ahead of John Tavares. You know, one thing I will say, though, in Tavares' favor, he's probably one of the players in the top 10 who played with the worst line mates throughout the year. Like, he was constantly playing with 
Josh Bailey on his left wing and like Ryan Strom on his right wing. Maybe sometimes he got Brock Nelson or Anders Lee. But, you know, they had him separated from Kyle Ocposo for most of the year. And these other guys, like they would be nothing without John Tavares, I think. So I wonder if maybe next year, if they put Tavares back with Ocposo, that'll help. I think I brought that up last week as well. Ocposo, by the way, ended the year 64 points in 79 games. A pretty great year considering he was away from John Tavares. We were really worried about him at the start of the year when we saw that he was going to be on the second line. But he still had a very respectable showing. Maybe not the 70 points that we were hoping for, but 64. Still pretty good. And according to Roto World, he just had a baby. So congratulations, Kyle Ocposo and his family. We actually have a patron in our group. I think it was Ruben who made a suggestion earlier this season that players have the worst year of their career in the year that they have a baby. So maybe that's something to watch with Kyle Ocposo going into next season. (laughs) Oh no, that will be very interesting. I think he'll be fine if he's playing with John Tavares and clearly even without most likely. Okay, another player that was an MVP. Let's talk about Ryan Johansson of the Nashville Predators. He ended the year with 12 points in his last 10 games, bringing him to 60 points in 80 games on the year. So definitely falling short from where a lot of people were expecting him to be when they drafted him when he was a member of the Columbus Blue Jackets. But he's been a different player since joining Nashville, right? Yeah, they have. Everything for him has been better as a Predator. And it's not like he was a terrible player for the Blue Jackets. It was just a really bad situation. Remember, he was getting scratched off and on, getting benched off and on. As a Predator, of course, he played regularly, as he should in the NHL. And his team shot attempts while he was on the ice, his individual shot attempts, his shots on goals, points per 60. Across the board, everything you want to see improve, improved. And it all added up to a near 70-point pace through half a season as a Nashville Predator, which probably restores his value to that of a 70-point guy going into next year's draft. A lot of people picked him this season as a top 5 or top 10 forward, expecting him and Nick Foligno to work their magic in Columbus again and only helped by Brandon Saad. It sounds so foolish looking back that that's all what we thought would happen, or at least some of us. Anyway, and I'd actually still rather draft Ryan Johansson. Next year's more of a 65-point projector. I was one of those who was reluctant earlier this season to crown him as a 70-point guy and was beaten to him in every draft that I participated in as a result. His showing as a Predator somewhat proves me wrong and somewhat proves me right at the same time. So next year, I'm looking at him as a 65-point guy come my draft, but would totally understand if you had him notched as a 70-point guy. Yeah, everyone thought that Nick Foligno would continue to help Ryan Johansson get big points. Turns out it was James Neal that he needed to play with. Neal also ended the year with 12 points in his last 10 games and really had a strong year, 58 points in 82. I don't think a lot of people thought he had it in him and especially this really strong ending, so many shots on goal. I assume they'll stay together next year. And I guess when you're drafting, like you say, Brian, it's going to depend who's in your league. If they're looking at total season stats, if you're thinking of Johansson as a 65-point guy, you're going to get him as a steal because last year he only had 60 points this year, I mean. But if people are thinking of him as a 70-point guy, then you're going to have to reach to get him. So it'll be interesting to see what the projections are as we go into next year when we look at the Dauber and the Scott Collins and everyone. I have a feeling that you're right, probably around 65, 70 points. But he has, I feel like, more upside. That's the thing with him. 60 is probably his floor, and the ceiling could be like 80, but who knows where he'll actually fall. Obviously, I can't get on board right now with 80. We'll see how the offseason evolves, though. And James Neal, by the way, I mean, the effect went both ways. Neal helped Johansson. Johansson also helped Neal. Neal spent just less than half of all his even-strength minutes this year on the ice with Ryan Johansson, but in those minutes scored just more than half of his total even-strength production, picking up 21 of his 37 even-strength points. 
while Ryan Johansson was on the ice with him. Interestingly enough, his possession numbers were better away from Ryan Johansson. And actually, in terms of all like shot suppression and defensive metrics, if you're looking from that angle, Neil was better without Ryan Johansson. But when they were together, Neil averaged one extra on-ice goal per 60 minutes than he did without Johansson. And of course, in fantasy, we're looking for those offensive advantages rather than any defensive implications. So great news for James Neal that Ryan Johansson is now in Nashville. We'll see how they click next year. Next on the list of MVPs, hopefully there are some of you out there who picked up Mark Shifley when Brian Little went down for the Winnipeg Jets because Shifley ended the year like so on fire. He had 18 points in his last 15 games. He's been over a point per game player, I think, since Little went down. And that led Shifley to end the year with 61 points in 71 games. That's a 70-point pace for Mark Shifley. More points than Ryan Johansson, even. No one would have expected this. I mean, he was a great prospect. We knew he would be good, but this good? Brian, I'm curious to know. Obviously, if you had Shifley for your playoffs, you likely won. He probably was a key cog in your success. Maybe unless your opponent had Artemi Panarin. But Brian, next year, can we expect similar numbers from Mark Shifley? A 70-point pace? An excellent finish to the year in which Mark Shifley was taking advantage of his circumstance, which he wasn't just doing for those last 15 games. He played 25 games after Brian Little, Winnipeg's usual number one center, left the lineup for the season with injury. In those 25 games, Shifley had 32 points, which adds up to a 105-point pace. (laughs) Shifley also had 78 shots over those 25 games, which puts him above that three shots per game average mark that we discussed last week as being a pretty rare feat for an NHL forward to achieve over a sustained period of time. Now, Shifley was helped by an insane 20% shooting conversion rate over these 25 games to help accrue all these points. That's way higher than his career mark, but he's certainly also helping himself by taking the volume of shots that he is. He ends the year ranked 8th amongst regular forwards in the NHL in even strength points per 60 minutes and goes into the season as a restricted free agent. Drew Stafford, believe it or not, is currently the Jets' third highest paid forward at $4.4 million per season. Shifley should be able to make a case to receive at least that much coming off his entry-level deal. The question is, will the amount that Winnipeg commits to him translate into his spot on the depth chart? I mean, he definitely definitely projects to be a future number one center for the Jets. The question is just how soon does that happen with a very capable Brian Little sitting in the number one center spot right now? I think the best hope for Shifley is that the Jets do what they've tried to do over the last couple seasons, and that's roll a fairly even top six, even top nine situation where he's going to get as good line mates as Brian Little will and have as many opportunities to produce. Well, yeah, and maybe I'm bearing the lead here, Brian, because we're talking about Mark Shifley. We have to mention the reason why he did so well after Brian Little got injured is because he was playing with Blake Wheeler, who was just as hot at the end of the year. He actually had 19 points in his last 15 games compared to Shifley's 18. And Wheeler, like, what a season overall for Blake Wheeler. He ended up with 78 points. That put him in the top 10 in league scoring. In fact, he ended up tying for sixth in league scoring with Joe Pavelski and Johnny Gaudreau. So Blake Wheeler, sure, Mike Shifley was great, but what do you think about a guy like Blake Wheeler? Has he now cracked the top 10 again? We talked about John Tavares. Is he still in the top five? And you're saying maybe he's not even in the top 10. What about Blake Wheeler? How high should he be drafted going into next season? Blake Wheeler also finished sixth in total points scored at even strength, which is also promising. You know I like my guys to be able to score at even strength too. And he was fifth in points per 60 minutes 
right behind Sidney Crosby, ahead of guys like Joe Thornton, who have received a lot of ink this year, talking about how great a season they're having. Of course, Joe Thornton, his context as being an older guy, continuing to hang around the scoring leaders in the league is super impressive. But Blake Wheeler has really never received that much press or attention to all of his contributions for both his real-life team and fantasy teams, although we here on Keeping Carlson have been longtime backers of Blake Wheeler. He's not going to be drafted as one of your top 10 forwards next year. That's almost a guarantee. There's a lot of bigger names out there that people want to grab on their teams. But once those big names are gone, Blake Wheeler makes a good case for being at the top of your list. Yeah, a lot of people, I guess, got him as a sleeper pick this year. I'd imagine his average draft position was more like second or probably more like third round. And you look at the guys he was ahead of this year, you know, Tarasenko had 74 points in 80 games. That's nice. That's good. Wheeler had 78. Alex Ovechkin, 50 goals. That was awesome. Actually, Ovechkin's like a total different thing. Ovechkin's amazing that he hit 50 goals yesterday with his hat trick, but only 21 assists, so 71 points overall. Nicholas Backstrom... 70 points, John Tavares, like we've already mentioned, a lot of guys that Blake Wheeler was ahead of. And I think we we might be in a new era of fantasy. We might be having to talk soon about Blake Wheeler, Johnny Godro, Artemi Panarin, who actually cracked the top 10, Kuznetsov. These are the guys that you might be looking to draft in your first round. Maybe if not this year, then definitely next year. Ah, Brian, I'm so excited to already draft for next season. We have so long to wait. Definitely lots to talk about in the summer series. Quickly, 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 speaking about the Jets, also Nikolai Ehlers, like we mentioned, came back from injury, and he also had a really strong end to the season, obviously playing with Wheeler and Shifley, so... It'll be really fun to see what the Jets do with their lines next year. And Ehlers is definitely going to be another guy you're going to want to target in your drafts. And I know I mentioned Artemi Panarin in that spiel just now. We talked about him already a lot last week, but he obviously just continued his amazing pace to end the year. I can't believe we were almost going to talk about him last week as someone who was being a snoozer at the end of the year. He went through a bit of a cold stretch, but then just went insane. Another three-point game yesterday, ended in the top 10 in league scoring. And apparently, by scoring his 30th goal yesterday, he earned himself 2.57 million in performance bonuses. So that was a really great night for Artemi Panarin. I don't know, anything else to say about this guy? I think most of it has already been said. Last night's goal makes him the first rookie to notch 30 goals in a season since the 2010-2011 NHL season when both Michael Grabner and Jeff Skinner did it. If you're looking at the full list of players who have done it in the last 10 years, well, you have Ovechkin and Crosby, who scored way more than 30 goals as rookies, 52 and 39 respectively. And then Grabner, like I said, Malkin... Then you've got names like Merrick Svatos, Bobby Ryan, Jeff Skinner, and Peter Pruka. So which end of that does Artemi Panarin end up on? I'm not terribly certain at this point. But the fact that he's scoring goals at least shows that he's not just racking up assists and total coattail riding on anybody else's production. He is capable of putting the puck in the net himself. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting discussion all summer, I think, about, like, who helped who? Like, Patrick Kane, obviously, is going to win the Art Ross Trophy. He had 106 points on the season. Did he have this big jump because he was with Panarin? Did Panarin get his 77 points because he was playing with Patrick Kane? I'm sure it's a combination of both. But it'll be also fun when we're talking about these top five. We're going to have to talk about during the summer where we draft Patrick Kane next year. First overall? fifth overall? Ah, it's going to be interesting. And Brian, we've been talking about these players who did really well to end the season that were obviously owned on teams. How about some diamonds in the rough? Like, take a look at a guy like Joe Colborn on the Flames. He had 11 points in his last seven games. I remember we mentioned him on the podcast a few weeks back saying, oh, he's going to be on the top power play with Gojo and Monaghan, but we didn't expect him to have such a strong end of the year. He ended the year with 44 points in 73 games, which is pretty respectable, but what a strong finish. Brian, is there anything different 
going on with Colburn? Like, was this just a lucky streak or is he someone we have to look at for next season as a potential guy to draft? Anybody who is impressed with Mark Scheifele finishing 8th in even strength points per 60 amongst regular NHL forwards this season should also take a moment to mention that Joel Colborn ranked 7th in that very same measure. Now, granted, Joel Colborn played a couple hundred minutes fewer than several other names on that list, but there's one name where he played exactly the same amount of minutes as and finished ahead of in points per 60, and that name is somebody we've gushed about all season long, Alex Barkov. I'm just going to repeat this again, just for effect. Points per 60, even strength, you've got Yarmir Yager leading the way, then Patrick Kane, Kuznetsov, Crosby, Wheeler, Thornton, Colborn, Shifley, Hall, Huberto, Tarasenko, Godro, Hoffman, Barkov, Tavares. Those are your top 15 right there. So one of those names definitely does not belong. Was it luck? You know, I don't want to be terribly unfair to Joe Colborn, but I'm going to say, yes, it was luck. Because the numbers that I'm seeing from him, while Colborn matches up with other elite names in points per 60, he doesn't come close to them in terms of shot attempts and registered shots on goal per 60 minutes. So those other rate stats and counting stats just aren't there. He benefited all season long from an 18% personal shooting percentage, which is outstanding. That helped him get the majority of his goals. And if a shooting percentage goes up that much, we like to see at least a commensurate rise in shots on goal, like we just talked about with Shifley. That did not happen with Joe Colborn, and that's why I'm not necessarily pegging him to finish 7th next year in points per 60 minutes again. Yeah, he's 26 years old. He's not a rookie. It would be pretty surprising if he can do what he did at the end of this season for all of next season. But hey, one guy to maybe add to your watch list. Maybe you could grab at the very end of your draft when we're talking about sleepers. Yeah, the really interesting part is that his points per 60 went up. Nothing else did, though. Like, everything else looks pretty much exactly the same as it has been for the rest of his career. Even on ice shooting percentage, I mean, a bit of a bump, but I think that was mostly because of his own shooting percentage. So nothing really looks like it's changed under the hood for Joe Colborn, which is concerning to anybody hoping that this continues, that this is a sign of him emerging as a really legitimate top-flight NHL centerman. Yeah, I wonder how many people listening actually had Joe Colborn for all of these points. We did mention him on the podcast, but I doubt anyone picked him up, or I'd be interested to know who did. Tweeted us at Keeping Carlson. Another guy in Calgary, Mikhail Backlund, ended up with eight points in his last four games of the season. So there were a couple of gems on the Flames that probably no one had, but that would have helped a lot. He had a hat trick against Vancouver a couple games ago that ended the season with an assist against Minnesota. You know, not only do I wonder if people had Colborn or Backlund, but maybe I also wonder, did anyone actually see these games where they were getting those points? Because if they did, I'd be curious to know where they bought their tickets because they could have bought their tickets off of SeatGeek. As we've been saying over the past few weeks, SeatGeek is the new sponsor of Keeping Carlson and they are always the first place I go to look for tickets to a sporting game or concert. SeatGeek pulls all of the tickets available on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming events and SeatGeek will let you know if the ticket price falls. And, of course, best of all, they're honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. I hate those fees at checkout. Yeah, it's really nice to be able to go. You see exactly what you're going to pay the first moment that you lay eyes on the tickets you want. That price does not go up from that instant anytime through the checkout process. What you see is what you get. Except actually what you see isn't what you get because you could get an even better deal because SeatGeek is offering an additional $20 rebate to all Keeping Carlson listeners off their first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is download the app or go to the site, enter the promo code KEEPING, as in Keeping Carlson, and then SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. So check it out, SeatGeek. 
Playoffs coming up. You gotta get your playoff tickets. Speaking of the playoffs, we still want to get into this episode some playoff pool strategies. And speaking of playoff pools, we let's just mention right now, we're going to have our own Keeping Carlson playoff pool open to all listeners of Keeping Carlson. So if you want to join our playoff pool, check out keepingcarlson.com slash playoffs for more information we'll obviously also tweet about it and we'll post in the facebook group for the patrons first prize is probably going to be a year of free patronage where you get to become a patron keeping carlson for free and get access to our facebook group and access to join the couple and access to our monthly patron casts last year's winner of the playoff pool was anthony vela and he was a great patron but anthony you're gonna have to start paying to stay a patron unless you could win the pool again. So it'll be interesting to see if you'll be able to defend your title. Last year, we also gave a second place prize. I think it was some magazine that I had found about hockey fun. We'll see if I can find anything around my apartment and we can make that the second prize as well. So there will be prizes even if you can't beat Anthony Vela. And I guess since we're talking about playoff pools, let's get into some playoff pool strategies. A lot of people are going to be drafting soon. And of course, the difference between a playoff pool and a regular season fantasy pool is that we don't know how many games these players are going to play. It depends on the team. You kind of have to come up with what teams you think are going to go far into the playoffs and pick players from that team. There's a really great article on Dauber Hockey, actually, by Dauber himself, four strategies to take into your playoff pool draft. I definitely recommend checking it out. And Dauber points out how in most years, the top, say, 20 players in playoff scoring tend to be from just a couple of teams or maybe four teams. So I would say the number one strategy is you're going to have to limit your focus and not pick players from all around all the teams in the playoffs. Yeah, spreading it around doesn't often work. If you're going in a pool where you can draft any player from any team, it's good to load up on a couple teams. And I find that it's good also to load up on a couple teams that not everybody is gunning for. So you can own a large percentage of players from a team that goes deep rather than one or two players on a team that goes deep where everybody else has one or two players from that team as well. Yeah, I think another really good tip that Dauber gave in his article, not to like completely just read the article as a segment on the show, but I thought it was really smart how he said, don't go into the draft committed to a team because you don't know like where you're going to sit in the draft. And let's say you're like, I know that the Capitals are going to make it far. So I want to get as many Capitals players as I want. But if you end up with like eighth pick in the draft and already Ovechkin and Kuznetsov and Backstrom and all these guys are gone, don't just still stick with drafting Capitals. Then you have to pick another team. So be flexible. At the end of the day, if you want to win, you're just going to have to get lucky and end up with some of the best players on the teams that go far. So I wouldn't draft trying to come like second or third or fifth place by having a well-balanced team and having players on teams that maybe those players aren't that great, but you think the team will go far. Once you get to your first couple of picks, that's when I guess you could decide which team to draft from and then sort of fill out your roster from there. So Elon, maybe this is a good time to suggest a couple teams that we think might go deep in the playoffs that not everybody's attention will be focused on. Right, yeah. So we don't even actually know. We're recording this Sunday morning. We don't know what all of the playoff matchups will be. But I think it's fair to say that a lot of people are going to be taking players from the Capitals, like I said, and probably the Chicago Blackhawks, like Patrick Kane might go first overall in a lot of playoff pools. I don't know how high people are on this team, but I would say one team that I would probably target is the Anaheim Ducks. They had so many really good players at the end of the year that were producing, and I could see them going far. They had such a great end to their season compared to how they started the year. And if you look at Anaheim's top scorers over the last month, you've got Ryan Kessler, Jacob Silverberg, Corey Perry, even Andrew Cogliano had 12 points in his last 15 games. Ryan Getzlaff, Jamie McGinn, Ricard Raquel was injured, so he might be a good sleeper. Apparently, he'll be back in time for the start of the playoffs. Then you have the defensemen, Hampus Lindholm, Cam Fowler, Sammy Vatnin, even Shea Theodore got called up. I don't know what the status is with him. Definitely check before your playoff pool. But he was called up and played yesterday and got an assist for what it's worth. So lots of value there on Anaheim. If you could get a bunch of these players and then it turns out that they go far... 
I think they could be a good sleeper team. And Brian, can I give one more before you go? Well, I guess so. But disclaimer, you might just be stealing all of my thunder. <laughs> okay, well, the other team I think could be interesting. Hmm, actually, I can't decide. I'm going to say either the Penguins or the Panthers. Again, it kind of depends how the matchups shake up. Penguins have ended the year so strong. So if you could get a bunch of those guys, obviously that Kessel, Haglin, Bonino line did really strongly at the end of the year. I wonder if they could keep it up. And with the Panthers, just so many players, just like the Ducks, so many fantasy relevant players that if you do end up loading up on Panthers and they go far, there's a lot of value to be had. One team to begin with that has taken a hit in their appeal for picking players from in a fantasy playoff pool is the Tampa Bay Lightning, who were pretty much considered to be on even footing with the Washington Capitals at the start of the season as the favorites to come out of the East and make the Stanley Cup final. Unfortunately, with injuries to Stamkos and Johnson, that is going to be a much more difficult task for the Lightning. Lucky for them, they get the weakest Eastern Conference playoff team as their first opponent in the Detroit Red Wings. And right now, Jimmy Howard is starting for the Detroit Red Wings. So maybe as sleepers, you could draft a guy like Johnson, depending on his prognosis, and say, look, he might not score any in the first round, but if he's back for the next three rounds, then he'll be able to help you there. Stamkos, of course could be out for the entirety of the playoffs. Though if you want to grab a sleeper on Tampa Bay, a guy who's healthy right now is Jonathan Druin, who you speculated, Brian, last week. Mike got called up when we talked about the Stamkos injury. Druin did, in fact, get called up, and he scored two goals, one goal in each game that he played. Just a very interesting saga for Jonathan Druin this season, and I wonder if he'll be able, he'll definitely be put in a position to contribute in the playoffs and make up for everything that's happened this year. Yesterday, he was playing with Philpula and Palat for a lot of the game. I guess after Tyler Johnson was down, he was also playing with Killorn for a bit. But definitely, yeah, with Steven Stamkos injured and now potentially Tyler Johnson injured as well, it's time for Druin to step up. It's going to be a really interesting storyline going into the playoffs. I personally won't be drafting any Tampa Bay Lightning players, I don't think. Especially also with Hedman and Stralman injured. Like, they hardly have any defense. And Brian, actually, speaking of Tampa Bay, not really playoff-relevant But Andre Vasilevsky had another stinker yesterday, let in four goals against Montreal, leaving him on the year with a 9-10 save percentage. This is on a good Tampa Bay team where you expect the goalie to be able to do well. I know all along we've been saying, you know, you got to have Vasilevsky in the keeper pool because he's going to be their future goaltender. Are we starting to have concerns about that? Like if you have Vasilevsky in your keeper pool and it's a deep keeper pool, you've been holding him maybe for a year or two. Do you think now's the time to consider dropping him, or do you still think he has the potential to be that number one Tampa Bay goalie in a couple of seasons? Well, we're getting off track a little bit here from playoff talk to long-term Tampa Bay goaltending situation talk. This particular season doesn't raise any huge red flags for me on Andre Vasilevsky. He's developing sometimes at this point in their careers. Goalies have a new goaltending coach or new influence that is trying to help them tweak a thing or two in their games. I don't know if that's actually what's happening with Vasilevsky or if he's just stunk it up this season playing as best he can without any other confounding factors. But at the end of the day, he's still just 21 years old. The Lightning have Bishop for another year, so I think this probably ensures that they hang on to Bishop for another year through to the end of his contract. And at that point, we'll see how Vasilevsky is trending as somebody who can eventually take the number one mantle in Tampa. I'm not ready to write him off because of one bad year. All right, fair enough. And okay, you're right, we did get off track. I don't know how helpful this is of us just naming teams in the playoffs. Like, obviously, now we've named a few teams. I'll name one more. I think St. Louis is also a team that could go far. (laughs) And they have a sleeper in, like, Alex Steen, you know, a guy who was injured for a long time. Maybe people will have forgotten about him with him back, you know. And now Fabri is also back. Definitely some deep value on St. Louis. 
you know, you let me talk about one team and one team only, and then you asked me a non-playoff question about that team that I answered, and then you went ahead and talked about more teams that I wanted to talk about. So I'm just going to jump in here and say that, Elon, you put Florida and Pittsburgh in the same Eastern Conference, sort of maybe they could come out or make a long push. I mean, Florida looks the best in their bracket for sure. Like, it seems like they have a pretty reasonable path to the Eastern Conference Finals. Pittsburgh would have to go through Washington to get that far, but I love what Pittsburgh's doing lately. Everything seems to be clicking. I watched their game against the Flyers yesterday, and while they didn't win, they looked good, and they had a lot of bottom six guys looking like they could handle the roles that they were in. Matt Murray, of course, got injured in that game. We still don't know how long he'll be out for, but at the same time, Marc-Andre Fleury looks ready to return. I think Pittsburgh could be primed for a long playoff push. I am cheering hard for a Pittsburgh-Washington series. That would be amazing to watch. Those are my two favorite teams in the Eastern Conference right now. And looking at the West, I see Dallas as probably being the only team that should be a shoe in in their first round matchup against Minnesota. They won the season series four to one. And I just don't think the Wild can match the Stars' firepower, even if the Stars do falter in goal. They're a team that can go far if they get the goaltending they need. And I feel like a lot of people might be looking just to Chicago and LA. And if you can, in your playoff pool, draft a bunch of Stars, you could do a lot worse than that. And Elon, yeah, I could go through every single team in the West, essentially, except for the Wild and maybe the Predators, and say they have a chance to go deep. The Ducks, I think, are still under-respected, considering their terrible, terrible start, where Ryan Getzlaff was not scoring any goals, and Corey Perry wasn't doing anything either, yet they still passed the century mark as a team in total points this year. Man, the West is going to be fun to watch. I'm getting so excited just talking about it. Yeah, you mentioned the Stars and their goaltending. That's the big question, right? It's hard to draft players on the Stars, because sure, Sagan and Ben, well, Sagan's injured, but Ben will be really good, Spezza, whoever, but if they get eliminated because they have shaky goaltending... They're not going to be worth too much to you, though. It is worth mentioning, in the end of the season where, like we talked about last week, all the goalies were letting their owners down, Antti Niemi actually had a pretty good end to the season. Like, in his last four games, he had an over 917 save percentage in all of them. Yesterday, got a win against Nashville, two goals against, 28 saves. I assume Niemi is going to be the starter going into the playoffs, though Lennon actually hasn't been that bad lately either. I don't know. I don't know if I would take Dallas just because I'm concerned about their goalies. And now to once again veer off the path, speaking of goalies, last week we mentioned so many goalies who were letting their owners down. I forgot one, Semyon Varlamov, just a brutal end to the season as well. So you could add him to the list of guys. It'll be really interesting to try to peg what we can expect from them next year. Colorado overall is a mess, and Varlamov, another stinker yesterday against Anaheim. And I guess since we're talking about LVPs, people who didn't help you in their finals... How about a couple of players from a team in the playoffs that we haven't mentioned, maybe for good reason. Rick Nash ended up going pointless in his last five games for the Rangers. Derek Broussard also went scoreless probably in your final, had only one assist in his last six games. Really brutal. In fact, there weren't really many Rangers players producing, except for Derek Stepan, actually, who was on fire at the end of the season. So it's interesting how it goes, back and forth. One guy who kept it up, and Brian, remember we talked about him last week or the week before as a defenseman who was heating up out of nowhere, and we said, ah, probably it won't keep up. It actually did keep up. Kevin Klein on the Rangers, he ended the year with a three-game point streak and four points in his last five games. So Kevin Klein, who knew? I wonder if he'll be a good sleeper pick for a playoff pool. He probably won't get drafted till the very end, though if the Rangers play the Penguins, then it might be a really tough series for them. 
Okay, let's go back and focus on the first ranger you mentioned, who is the centerpiece of this conversation. Rick Nash continues to not put up, well, any points at all recently, or at least consistent points, even in the bigger picture. And we talked about him last week as a guy who needs to help himself right now by taking more shots on goal, and he is not doing that. Only twice in his last 10 games has he registered more than two shots on goal. That is very un-Rick Nash-like. And of course, that has had a ripple effect on Derek Brassard, who has just one point in his last seven games. If you're looking for a Ranger who is producing, though, Chris Kreider finished the year off with nine points in his last eight games. Five of those were goals, though he hasn't done that by taking a ton of shots. So here comes the usual caveat that his goal scoring right now is not sustainable if he doesn't up his shot count seriously. And if you're looking really deep on the Rangers, Dan Boyle has three points in his last six games. That's good enough for a half a point per game pace, which is really as good as it gets for Dan Boyle. If the Rangers are a team that you're going deep on in your playoff pool, he's someone to consider beyond the obvious choice on defense, which is Keith Yandel. And I don't know, Kevin Klein, does he keep rolling through the postseason? Have you changed your mind about Kevin Klein? Is he now really good? Well, he's 31 years old in his eighth pro season, and he's never done any of this before. So no, I haven't yet changed my mind on Kevin Klein. But wouldn't it be fun if he kept scoring throughout the first playoff series that he participates in? Man, he really was an MVP for some teams, because not only did he get all these points, but now I'm looking, he also had a lot of blocks. He had an eight-hit game against Tampa Bay. He was doing it all... Who knew? There's always someone like that. Who was the guy last year? I have to try to think of it. Tweeted us at Kevin Carlson if you could remind me who was the no-name last year. I guess Brian Gionta, I remember, went crazy at the end of the season. Brian, one more LVP I have to mention. Jaden Schwartz just completely disappeared for his fantasy owners. We were excited about him coming back from injury. He had like 21 points in his first 24 games coming back from injury. I was like, ah, I guess we were right. Jaden Schwartz is amazing. Ended the year with only one goal, no assists in his final nine games. Just completely disappeared. If you look at the St. Louis line combinations, I guess you get a clue as to what happened because it looks like at least in yesterday's game, he was playing on a line with Patrick Berglund and Magnus Pajarv. He was not on the STL line. It was Vladimir Tarasenko. Yori Lettera and Alex Steen getting that plum spot. It'll be really tough to project a guy like Jaden Schwartz next year. It's kind of looking like he needs to have good line mates in order to produce. Or maybe it was just a bad run. I'm leaning towards the latter. I mean, better line mates would certainly help, but he's proven himself time and time again over the first couple years of his career that he is somebody who can produce consistently. It has been a cold snap for sure lately, but if you take it away, he had 21 points in 24 games, and I'd rather trust that combined with what he's done in the last two years than just the last nine games, obviously. I'm pretty predictable that way. Yeah. But it was still quite a bummer if you had him in your pool. And actually, I guess we're jumping around back to some MVPs, some guys who ended really strongly that were barely owned, the Joe Colborn types. We got to mention Bo Horvat. You know, we were saying at one point just a couple episodes ago that you probably don't want to have any Vancouver Canucks, maybe not even the Sedins. But Bo Horvat ended the year with eight points in his last eight games. So I guess it just goes to show really hard to predict, but he's probably a guy that you're going to want to target in your pools next year. A really young player, and he had a really good season overall. Ended up with 40 points in 82, half point per game pace. I'd imagine he could only go up from here. Only 20 years old. That's the hope. He was the Canucks point leader down the stretch. Elon, do you know who the next highest point scorer on the Canucks was in their last, well, I don't know, if you're looking at 10 to 12 games? Um, well, I'm assuming the answer won't be a Sedin, since otherwise you wouldn't be asking, so... 
Hmm, maybe like a Yannick Hansen? Not bad. He was third and probably on the higher points per game pace. But if you're looking at total points, seven points in 12 games for Emerson Etem. Then Yannick Hansen with six and 10. Then Henrik Sedin with five and 12. Derek Dorsett with four and five games. And then a bunch of guys with three points in 11 or 12 games, including Daniel Sedin. What a rough close to the season for the Sedin brothers. Yikes. Yeah, I saw on Twitter yesterday that Henrik Sedin apparently went asked how he felt about ending the season with a win, and he said something like, I'm just glad it's over, which is kind of sad. But it was just a brutal season for the Canucks. And yeah, it seems like if you were going to choose which Canucks to pick up for the last couple of weeks, you might as well have just thrown a dart at a dartboard with Canucks names on it, because who would have been able to project that Emerson Edom and Derek Dorsett would have been the guys to grab along with Horvat and Yannick Hansen? Another guy I definitely wanted to mention before we closed out the season, Oliver Bjorkstrand? on Columbus. I just want to kind of like know who this guy is because he kind of came out of nowhere. Someone asked about him on Twitter asking if they should pick him up. They were asking between him and Wenberg. I said Wenberg, but I said, go with your gut because it's probably close. And this Bjorkstrand, he ended up with five points in his last four games, a really strong end of the season. He ended up getting promoted to the top six, playing with Wenberg and Brandon Saad. Brian, can you just give us a quick rundown of who this guy is and if he's someone we should have on our radars for next season? Well, I think his deployment next year will play a large part in figuring out if we should pay attention to him. I wouldn't necessarily add him to your draft list at this point, but he does have a decent pedigree. Drafted in the third round in the 2013 NHL entry draft by the Blue Jackets, he's an import from Denmark who scored big in the WHL with Portland and then played all right in his first pro season with the Lake Erie Monsters of the AHL, picking up 26 points in 47 games played. 15 of those were goals, so a decent showing in what is his first pro North American season and a pretty decent showing in Columbus on the big league level too. Columbus is starting to get known. I mean, they have so many holes in their lineup that guys like Wenberg and Bjorkstrand and Dano can sort of come up for 10 or 15 games, get an opportunity to score, and lucky for the Blue Jackets, they do. Yeah, I mean, lucky for the Blue Jackets in quotes. It's not as if it helped them get anywhere this season. But hey, at least they weren't as bad as the Toronto Maple Leafs who clinched last place yesterday. Though I will mention there were a couple of good Leafs at the end of the year. They'll be a really interesting team to even like just try to rank who their top five will be next year. A lot of names. We've mentioned some over the course of the end of the year. The Nylanders and the Soshnikovs. P.A. Parento actually scored an end of the year with 20 goals yesterday. So it'll be fun to see what happens with the Leafs. But okay, probably off track. We'll see if the Leafs can get Austin Matthews with that first overall pick. They have the best odds of getting it. But Brian, I think that probably should do it. For our season coverage of Keeping Carlson, once we're talking about the Leafs, you know it's time to probably end the show. Good luck to everyone in your playoff pools, and congratulations to everyone who won their pools. In fact, Brian, why don't we cue some celebration music? And let's go back and forth and congratulate the patrons of Keeping Carlson who won their pools this year. Congratulations! What a ride! No better place to start than the winners of the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. There were seven divisions. And these were probably the hardest fantasy pools to win in the entire world. So an extra hearty congratulations to the following. The winner of the Soder Towels... How do you pronounce that? Soder Towels. The winner of the Soder Towels division, Spoonful of Pasternak. The winner of the Cupful for Lunda division, Filthy Animal. 
the winner of the couple Boras division, keeping Carlson's own, the Flamingos. The winner of the couple Binghamton division, not keeping Carlson's own, hurdle so good. Yeah, he by those blocks. Gosh, darn it. The winner of the couple Ottawa division, Boston Cheevers. The winner of the Yogurt division, Klingberg to what I'm saying. And the winner of the couple Sweden division, Oreikane Gergenishart. I feel like that wasn't his name to start the year. Maybe it was. And okay, we still have some more winners. Just in general, I'll start. Jager Bombs. Headphones Heroes. Shake It Hoff. Ogie Mickelgolfer. Milk Top Cookies Bottom. Ah, uh, yes, a Keeping Carlson regular. Shelbyville Sharks. Buy Sam a Drink and Lava One Two. I don't, I don't get it. His name's Sam. <laughs> Maybe that'll be our off-season series, dissecting each name that we've come across. Status Quo. <laughs> he had a 22-1 record. Way to go. Warsaws. Elon, I believe you inspired this one with our joint pool team name last year, I Just Kane. Hey, it's a good team name. We didn't win last year, but finally I Just Kane got a win. Okay, this name is a bit NSFW, so I'm not going to say it. So instead, Ed asked us to say, Brian and Elon thinks Edward is the coolest. A clever contingency for Ed to throw in when he listed his team name. Congrats to Hammer Time. State of Hockey. Jews of Jerusalem. Oh, wasn't there a loser last week? Uh, like Jerusalem City of McDavid? So I guess two people had the same idea. The Jews are the ones who took the win. Beantown Brawlers. Utah. Toya Islanders. Oshi, can you see? License to Ilya. Why is Adam Oates on Sportsnet panel? Oh no, that was just a comment. Warm cookies. Ducks fly together. Meat spit. <laughs> Meat spin. <laughs> and going into the last day, the Puckmasters number one are up by 45 points. We're just going to give them the win. And Brian, of course, we have to mention our joint team that we won this year. Keeping Carlson, spelled C for keeping and C for Carlson because we have John Carlson. Yes, and B to the K's cool team also won in a Yahoo pool this year. Okay, well in that case, I'll mention that Sand Kessels in the Sand will probably win today. What a season it's been for us, Elon, for keeping Carlson listeners so much success all around. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun, and hopefully you guys will stick with us for the summer series. We're going to go to bi-weekly, but we have a lot to talk about this summer. We're going to dissect which players surprised us this year, and whether we think they'll be able to keep it up for next year or we'll regress, then we'll go the other way, the players that disappointed us. We're going to talk about hockey strategy we have a lot of topics we want to talk about but definitely if you have a topic you want to hear about this summer tweet at us at keeping carlson let us know long summer ahead of course there'll also be the draft and then a bunch of trades and signings that we'll dig into i'm really excited thanks to everyone who stuck with us all season long i want to especially thank the patrons of keeping carlson for supporting us all season long if you are a patron please stick with us over the summer you could decrease your donation if you need to and that offer, of course, goes out to everybody. If you're interested, you can become a patron of Keeping Carlson over the summer for any donation amount, and you'll get access to join our Keeping Carlson patron-only Facebook group. We're still going to do our monthly patron cast. Who knows what we'll talk about, but we'll answer any questions you have. And you'll be able to join in on all of the cupful discussions and planning for next year. Though, of course, you'll have to be a full, regular patron for that. We'll talk about it all in the summer. What a fun season. And for the last time before the playoffs, Brian, let's cue that outro music. And go ahead and read us the credits. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from War on Ice, 
Hockey Analysis, Hockey Reference, Hockey Database, Corsica Hockey, Roto World, Yahoo Sports, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Great job as always, Brian. I hope you guys liked this episode. Don't forget the Keeping Carlson Playoff Pool, keepingcarlson.com slash playoffs, and we'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson.